0: Our sermon this week is taken from Mark chapter 6, verse 30 to 44. And I invite you all to stand on your feet in honor of the word of God. Now, uh, let's read this passage together on the count of three. One, two, three. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God.
1: You guys wanna be seated. Thank you, Felix. I'm not going to ask how many of you are hungover. <laughs> not a good question. But how many of you used to have a nickname that you do not like? Anyone? Nickname in the past that you do not like. You just hate it. Back in the days, my friend in Dallas used to call me goldfish because they thought goldfish only had three seconds of memory span. Okay? But they were wrong. In fact, goldfish can remember things for months. So I do not have goldfish memory. I have Dory's memory. Okay? Because my short-term memory is even worse than goldfish. Like you guys know, if I get introduced to a new person right after church, There's high chance that I will remember their face next week, but I call them something else that is not their name. I mean, it's not even a week. Let me tell you a story. The other Sunday, I was told that there's going to be a husband and wife who come to our church before the first service started. And I was told the name of the wife is Josephine. And I thought, that's easy. How could it be to remember Martin's and Grace's daughter's name, right? So I met her after the service. And I confidently say, you must be Jacqueline. Nice to meet you. <laughs> so close yet so far, right? And my mom used to tell me that if I my ear not attached to my head, I would probably have lost them a long time ago. Now, why am I telling you this? Because I am convinced that most of our problems as Christians are a result of not remembering. Because we have this thing called spiritual amnesia. We have problem remembering. Now, some of you might argue with me, no, 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 yours. I have photographic memory. I know, some of you do. I know my, some of my friends does. And that's kind of, you know, bothering me because all they need to do to study an exam is look at the paper once and they remember everything. You guys have a friend like that? I mean, I told that person, my friend, Jesus love you, but I hate you. But the idea of remembering from the Bible is actually, in fact, a lot stronger than that. Because when we talk about remembering, what we often mean is this, all right? Do not forget what I tell you. Do not forget these facts. So husband, when your wife tells you to remember to get groceries before you go home, it means she wants you to know that she expects you to come home with what? Groceries or else there will be no dinner for you. Amen, wife? But the Bible's understanding of remembering remember is a lot stronger than that. Because when the Bible tells us to remember, the Bible does not simply tell us to remind ourselves of some facts or no, but to take hold of those facts and see everything else through that fact. Okay, let me put it this way. It's like putting on sunglasses. What happens when you put on sunglasses? When you put on sunglasses, everything that you see in front of you are affected by those sunglasses. You with me on that? So when the Bible tells us to remember, what the Bible says, you know, Make sure that facts become a lens through which you see everything else. Because here's what happened. We see again and again the disciples forget to put on the sunglasses. I mean, they have witnessed again and again how Jesus performed the impossible. And they know that there's nothing impossible for Jesus. But yet, here's what happened. They forget to take hold of that truth that nothing is impossible. And then begin to see everything else through that lens. And here's my conviction. Their problem is our problem. Because every time we face with impossible, do you know what we do? We forget. Every time we are faced with impossible, we forget that we have God who makes the impossible possible. Because it is so easy for us to begin to focus on our limitation and what we can do. And we forgot that we have a God who has no limit. But then I think this story teaches us to look outside self and begin to look to Jesus. Because this is what happened when you look to Jesus. Jesus can take our limitation and multiply them for the good of others and for the spread of the gospel. Now, let me give you the context first because I'm sure most of you grew up with this story, right? Most of you are very familiar with this story and there's a good reason why. Because this miracle is actually the only miracle beside resurrection that is written on both and in all four accounts of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It tells us that each writer thinks that this miracle is very important to the point that they include it in their account. That's why in Sunday school, you might forget your teacher's name, but you remember this story. It sticks with you for the rest of your life. But if you pay attention to the context of the story, it kind of changes the meaning of the story. Because this is what Mark tells us. Mark put this story right after the story of Herod's banquet. Now, remember what happened last time on Herod's banquet? Remember? Let me give you a reminder. In Herod's banquet, Herod Herod's hold a banquet, a birthday party, to boost his position. And then he invites the nobles and the elites of the society to his banquet. And he provides 10-course gourmet food. And he entertains with what? Exotic dancing. But Jesus' banquet is very different because Jesus had a banquet to minister to people's need. And there are only commoners who come to Jesus' banquet. And the food provided is only fish and bread. And the main agenda is actually to hear Jesus preach the gospel. But here's what happened. The end of the banquets cannot be more different. Herod's banquet ended with a tragic end of beheading of John the Baptist. Jesus' banquet and with people being satisfied and having more than enough. One ends with in debt, the other ends in life. Don't miss the comparison. Here's why Mark tells us this story next to each other. Mark is telling us that, that Jesus is a different kind of king. Jesus is the only king that gave life to his people. Okay, let's get into the story. I have three points for my sermon. Compassion, need, and provision. Let's look at the first one, the compassion. Verse 30 to 34. The apostle returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And then they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Now, if you remember what happened in the early chapter, remember, Jesus sent his disciples to go on a short mission trip. Remember that? So what happened now, the disciples returned, and they tell Jesus everything that happened. And their short-term mission trip was a huge success, to the point that now it drove more crowds than before. And because of that, Jesus and the disciples began to tend to people's need that they don't even have time to eat. They were so busy. So Jesus says to the disciple, you know what, guys? Let's go and have a retreat. We need to go away from the crowds to a quiet place so that you guys can rest. And this tell us something about Jesus. Jesus is an introvert. Okay? All introverts say, amen. Okay, and probably all know none of the introverts say that because you guys do not want to people to know that you're there but this is something that you and I see Jesus does again and again see every time Jesus began to get so busy you know what he does he always retreat and rest because Jesus understand the importance of rest he always take time to rest in fact the greater the success the more he need to rest and this is very counterintuitive to us. I mean, what would we do if we we're Jesus? We will not miss this opportunity. I mean, we want to squeeze the orange as hard as we can, as much as we can, and get as much juice as possible. Isn't that right? But Jesus is different. Amid success in ministry, Jesus wanted the disciples to go away with him and have some rest. Why? Because the greater the success, the greater the need to spend time alone with Jesus. Because here's what I know about my own heart. It is very possible for me to make idol out of ministry. It is very possible for me to begin to get very busy for Jesus and make idol out of my busyness. And Jesus does not want that. So he takes his disciples to a quiet place to recalibrate their hearts and their body. Now, we do not know where Jesus actually takes them. It's not written. But apparently the crowd does. And they're probably like the ultimate fans of Jesus, right? So they probably check out Jesus' Instagram, they check out Peter's Instagram, John's Instagram, and they've managed to figure out, oh, this is where Jesus goes. So they begin to post it in their Instagram story, Jesus goes to so-and-so, and then repost, 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 to the point that the crowd, when, when Jesus gets to their destination, a great crowd is already waiting for Jesus. Now here's a question. What would you do if you were Jesus and the disciple. Let me tell you what I will do. I will be extremely annoyed. Why? Because I am an introvert. I need my me time. I need my alone time. And these people are intruding my space. So I will probably tell them, sorry guys, RSVP only. You guys are not invited. Come again next time. Ciao, ciao. But Jesus is different. I mean, I want you to look at what Jesus does Um, to the great crowd in verse 34. It's amazing. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. So rather than being annoyed, Jesus is not annoyed at all. In fact, it says when Jesus sees a great crowd, you know what happened? He feels compassion. And the word compassion here is very interesting because it comes from a Greek word, that says, the word's a bit interesting. The word is this, splachnisestai. Okay, I want you to repeat that after me, right? Splachnisestai. One, two, three. Splachnisestai. Okay, you have to go splach. That's, that's the actual word. And what's interesting about this word compassion, splachnisestai, in the New Testament, this word is only used to describe of Jesus. No one else. So that means this word is not a mere compassion. Oh, it's so much more than that. It is to be moved with deep longing Empathy; It is to, to be stirred at the core of your being that it is impossible for you to not do anything about the situation you see in front of you. And you know what makes Jesus feel this way? Mark tells us. Because he sees sheep without a shepherd. Now, this is not a farming metaphor. This is a military metaphor. Because in the Old Testament, the image of shepherd and sheep actually speak of the relationship between king or military leaders with his people. So a shepherd is actually someone who will lead lead the people to victory. And when Jesus sees the great crowd, Jesus sees people without a king. He sees people without purpose and direction. He sees people who have made big mess out of their life and do not know what to do with it. He sees people with needs and no one to lead them and that is why he moved to the core of his being to do something to help the great crowd. But I want you to pay attention to what Jesus does. You know what Jesus does? Jesus begins to teach them many things. And this is Mark's way of saying that Jesus teaches the gospel to them. And some of you are like, wait, what? Hold on a second. Because the crowd, they have needs in their life. I mean, some of them have a very messy life. Maybe some of them come to Jesus with broken marriages. Maybe some of them come to Jesus being oppressed. They have failing businesses. They're experiencing difficulties in their relationship. And now, rather than tending to their needs, you know what Jesus does? Jesus teaches them the gospel. Why? Because Jesus again and again understands that their greatest need is not physical. Their greatest need is a spiritual need. What they need, first and foremost, is not solution to their problems. What they need, first and foremost, to know God and His Word. And my friend, this is the primary role of a shepherd in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The primary role of a shepherd is to feed the sheep with the Word of God. And maybe, just maybe, the reason maybe many Christians are weak today, because maybe the pastor does everything except preaching the gospel faithfully. But then Jesus has compassion on the great crowd. But here's the question: Well, I thought they went to this desolate place in order for the disciple to get rest. What happened to the rest for the disciple? You with me on that? Because the goal is for the disciple to rest, and now suddenly Jesus to begin to tend to people's need. Does Jesus ignore the disciple' need for the sake of the great crowd? I don't think so. Jesus has not forgotten about the disciples and the need for rest. Jesus will give them rest. But here's what happened. The rest come in an unexpected package. Because they expect physical rest, okay? But what Jesus is, has in mind is something better, something far deeper. Because in this story, we will see that Jesus will give them not physical rest, but heart rest. And heart rest only comes from seeing Jesus and being amazed by his glory, Okay, And that we will see. This is exactly what happened in the story. Let's get the second one, the need. Verse 35 to 38. And when it grew late, his disciple came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, well, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give, them, give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Okay, I love this passage. Why? First of all, it tells us that Jesus preached long sermon. Okay? To the point that it's getting late and the disciples become uneasy because now the disciples are like, you know what? It's good. it's good that the crowd actually come to desert place to hear Jesus preach the gospel. But they need to eat. It's close to dinner time, and if they have nothing to eat soon, it's going to be chaotic. Moms, imagine it is almost dinner time. Your kids are hungry, and you haven't cooked anything. If you don't provide food soon, you know what's going to happen, right? There's going to be mutiny in your house. Cereal boxes are flying. Chips are scattering. Your kids are licking whatever they can find. And your husband is playing PS5. While I keep asking, is dinner ready yet? It's just a mess. And that's just your family. Now imagine thousands of people starving. What are they going to do? So the disciples come up with this brilliant plan. I think this is brilliant. And their solution is actually very reasonable. They say, well, Jesus... We know that you're a great teacher. We know that people love to listen to you preach. But here's the thing. It's getting late. People are hungry. And we are in the middle of nowhere. So why don't we end it for today? And why don't we send people away so that they can get food for themselves? If you send them away now, it's not too late. They can go to the city and have Lestari. I mean, don't you think that's a good suggestion? Right, Josh? I think it's a good suggestion, right? Maybe the disciples themselves are hungry and also want to go to Lestari before it closes. Or maybe you want the sermon to end soon so that you can go to Lestari. But watch what Jesus said, okay? This is, then Jesus replied, you give them something to it. Now, do you see what Jesus did? <laughs> Instead of avoiding possible crises, Jesus intensified the crisis by telling the disciple to feed the crowd. <laughs> well, I can imagine the disciples began to talk among themselves. I, mean, like, I mean, John, did we hear him right? I mean, did he just say for us to feed the crowd? Yeah, I think that's what he said. I mean, is this serious? I mean, is, is this a command or a suggestion? Is that okay if we disagree with Jesus? Is that a sin? Well, if you listen to his words and the tone... It sounded like it's not a suggestion. He's commanding us to fit the crowd. But how? It is impossible. It is irrational to fit thousands of people. Well, I thought we came here to rest. But now he gave us impossible tasks to do. I mean, someone needs to smack Jesus back into his mind. So Philip volunteered. According to the Gospel of John, Philip came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, I did the math. I took out my calculator and count the cost of feeding these people. It's going to cost us 200 denarii, which is 200 days worth of work, which is about what? 50,000 grand. 50 grand, sorry. I mean, should we spend 50 grand to, to feed these people? And by the way, Philip is being sarcastic. They don't have 50 grand to feed the people. They don't even have one grand. From what we know, the disciple and Jesus, they're broke. So Philip is basically saying to Jesus, Jesus, I know you're smart. I know you're amazing. I know you're a good teacher. But I think this time you get it wrong. Okay? It is impossible. There's nothing we can do about it. And then Jesus smiled and said to the disciple, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. So the disciple then began to walk among the crowd and ask, anyone bring food? Anyone bring food? Anyone bring food? And they can only find a little boy lunch box consists of five loaves of bread and two fish. And by fish, it does not mean two big fish, or no. It means two sardines. So we have five loaves of bread and two sardines, which is barely enough for a little boy. So what good is this lunchbox before thousands of people? Now what lesson can we learn from the story so far? Here's what we see. We see two different perspectives. Because the disciples focus on the fact that they don't have what it takes to feed the crowd. They don't have the money or the resources. All they have is five loaves of bread and two fish. That is the human's perspective. That is the disciple's perspective. But then Jesus sees it totally different. Because Jesus sees it from a defined perspective. And here's what Jesus sees. Where the disciples see impossibilities, Jesus sees Possibilities. And there is a lesson that Jesus wants to teach the disciple in us. Because remember the context. The disciples just returned from a successful mission trip. They just witnessed how God does the impossible in and through them. How God healed the sick. How God saved people. How they preached the gospel and they cast out demons. They just witnessed the amazing thing happen in and through their life. But now when they face another impossible situation, you know what happened? They forget. They forget the source of the power in their ministry. They forget that from the very beginning, they were always unable. Because it's never about them and what they can do. It's always about the one who is with them and what he enabled them to do. They forgot that if they have Jesus in the mix, if they have Jesus in the equation, whatever situation that they face, it is not that end. Because Jesus changes the equation. Now, can you see here what happened here? And here's the important lesson that I don't want you to miss. We tend to focus on what we lack. Jesus focuses on what we have. Or to be exact, we tend to focus on what we lack. Jesus focuses on who we have. Now, there's nothing wrong for us being aware of our limitations. In fact, I think it's good for us to know our limitation. But it is wrong for us then to begin to limit God with our limitation. Because I think the purpose of knowing our limitation is not so that we can limit God. The purpose of knowing our limitation and knowing that there's impossibility in front of us is so that there is no doubt whatsoever where the help comes from. See, Jesus asking the disciple to do the impossible and that's the point. Because until we see, listen, until we see that Jesus asks us to do the impossible, we're not ready for it. Because as long as we think it's still possible, you know what we do? We rely on our own strength. It is when we know that we are at the end of our strength that we are ready to witness Jesus' strength. Jesus wants us to focus not on what we can do, but on what he can do. He wants us to focus not on who we are, but on who is. But here's the question Who do we turn to in our times of need? Where do we turn when we face impossibility? Because I think, like the disciple, most of the time we look within. We look at our situation and we look within. We look at ourselves. But what Jesus wants us to do is not to look within, but to look outside of ourselves. And gaze our eyes upon Jesus. Because why? Because Jesus is able to make the impossible possible. How do we know? Look at what happened next. The provision. Verse 39 to 44. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaf and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaf were five thousand men. Now, let's use our imagination a little bit, right? I think it's okay to use our imagination a little bit when we read the Bible, because I think... This scene is very comical because instead of sending the people away, Jesus commanded the crowd to sit down on the green grass. And so the disciple obeying Jesus, began to direct the crowd to sit. Okay, everyone, everyone, listen, could you please sit in groups of 150s? And the crowds are asking, why do we need to sit down? Well, I don't know. Why do we need to sit in groups of 150s? Well, I don't know. Will we have food? What are we going to eat? Well, I don't know. What do you know? Well, I don't know. Just be quiet and sit down. I'm as confused as you are. Okay. So finally, they managed to get the people sit in group of 150. And this is what Jesus did. Then Jesus took the lunch boy. I mean, not the lunch boy. The boy's lunch box. Lunch boy. Okay, Jesus took the lunch box, the five loaves and two fish, and then he looked up to heaven and he blessed the food. And Jesus probably recites the common Jewish prayer for food, which go like this. Praise be to you, O Lord our God, King of the world, who makes bread to come forth from the earth, and who provides all that you have created. Amen. That's it. Short, concise prayer for meal. I like it. I mean, you know people who pray long for meals, right? I and mean, whenever they pray for meals, they pray for Aunt Mary who's sick, for Uncle Joe's busy, for the children in Africa who can't eat. I mean, there's time for that. But I think Jesus most likely did not do that. He prayed short prayer. So Jesus blessed the food, break the loaf, he gave them to the disciple, and then the disciple began to distribute the food to people. And somehow the bread and the fish does not run out. When I get to heaven one of the many things that I want to ask the disciples is this how does it happen? I mean what does it look like? Does everyone take a big chunk of bread and then pass it along to the next person and then suddenly voila the bread becomes whole again? Or does everyone in group take a little chunk of each time and by the time the food gets to them again it's still there? We don't know what happened. It's not written. All we know is the food does not run out and it's not as if everyone gets little pieces of bread. Oh, no. Because it says that everyone ate and satisfied. And Mark tells us there are 5,000 men in the crowd. 5,000 men. So that means if we count the women and the children, what we have is about fifteen to 20,000 people in the crowd. Do you realize how impossible this is? Imagine planning a wedding for 50 people. So you have 50 people RSVP to your wedding, and you have enough food for 50 people, but then the whole stadium show up to your wedding. That's like my nightmare, bro. You are in big trouble. Why? Because how are you going to feed them all? Seriously, when I see the disciples in heaven, I really want to ask them, really, how on earth can five loaves of bread and two fish feed 20,000 people until they're satisfied? And you know what they will say to me? Well, I don't know. All we did was obey Jesus and, you know, things happen. I don't understand it, but things happen. Can you see how amazing this miracle is? It is impossible. Yes. It is unexplainable. Yes. And yet, it is undeniable. People ate and satisfied. And not only that, here's what's amazing. The disciples then gather the leftover. Like moms, you will be pleased to know that gathering leftover is biblical. This is Jewish practice because they do not like to waste food, so then they collect all the leftovers. And here's what's amazing: there are how many basket? Twelve baskets full of leftover. So now, each disciple ended up with a basket full of leftover in their hand. So they started with five loaves of bread and two fish, and they end with more food than what they started. I mean, have you been to a party where there's like 50 people in the house, and then the host only order one large pizza? Have you been to that kind of party? I hate it, right? That's disastrous. Because when people ask, you know, how many of you want pizza? Like, no, I'm not hungry. So we only end up owning one, and then suddenly everyone becomes hungry, Right? That's not my kind of party. My kind of party, if there are 50 people in the party, I would order at least 30 boxes of pizza. Okay? That's, how I'm going, that's how I work. But this party, imagine this. You order one large pizza for 50 people, and everyone leaves the party with each holding a box of pizza. That is a neat trick. But here's the question, why 12 baskets? Of leftover, why not seven? Why not ten? Why not eleven? Why twelve? Here's why. Because yes, the miracle is about feeding great crowd. Oh yes, but it's so much more than that. This miracle is primarily a lesson for the disciples. This is a lesson for them. Because remember, they begin by telling Jesus to send people away because they have no food. And now at the end of it, they end up with a basket full of food each. It is a strong reminder to them and to all of us. Jesus is telling them, guys, do you think it was impossible? You forgot. You forgot that if I am in the mix, nothing is impossible. I can make the impossible possible. Nothing is beyond my power. I can take care of you. Whatever you need, I can mute it. I can do far more than you could ask or imagine. Nothing is impossible as long as I'm in the mix. And friends, this is the heart rest that we need. Because let me tell you, more often than not, what makes us extremely tired, listen, it's not physical weariness. It's not. What makes us extremely tired is the weariness of our heart. What caused many Christians to burn out in their journey with God is not ultimately physical exhaustion. It is the trouble of the heart. And what the disciples ultimately need is not physical rest, even though it's important. What they need is for their hearts to be captivated once again. Who is the master? that their master is far greater than they think. They need to be all by the glory of their master. And that is why at the end of this miracle, Jesus want to be sure that each of them holding a basket full of leftover as a reminder. There's a lesson that you and I must learn. Here's the lesson. Jesus is more than enough. The reason Jesus' Prophet left over is so that no one, no one can doubt again that having Jesus is more than enough. And here's the lesson for us. Don't miss the important lesson of the story. No matter what kind of impossible situation we might face in life, having Jesus with us is more than enough. Because here's what happened. When we live in obedience to God's word, when we live in obedience to Jesus, you and I will face impossibilities. When we live on a mission for Jesus, we will encounter many dead ends. Again and again, you and I will be faced with our limitation. But here's the good news. Jesus is not limited by our limitation. In fact, it's the other way around. Our limitation is actually the opportunity to showcase Jesus' unlimitedness. Because think about it. Jesus does not need the disciples to actually fit the crowd. He doesn't. He can do it all in his own. But then Jesus invites the disciples to play part. Jesus invites the disciples so that they might know his greatness. Jesus does not need their contribution. No, he doesn't but he graciously invites them to witness what he can do. Again and again, I think Mark wants us to understand is that Jesus does not need you and I to be awesome. Never. He wants us to be available. And what he asks of us as a Christian is to surrender what we have in our hand. He doesn't ask his disciple, you know, guys, find ways to find 200 denarii. He doesn't do that. He doesn't ask the disciple find ways to fit these 20,000 people. No, no, no. All he asks is, do you think it's possible? It's impossible? Then how many loaves do you have? That's it. And a disciple I think, well, <laughs> what I have in my hand is nothing. It's useless. It's just a little boy lunch box. And if we think what we have in our hand right now is useless, we're missing the point. We are totally missing the point. Because Jesus is not seeking 200 denarii. Oh, no, he doesn't. He's seeking our five loaves and two fish. Because Jesus does not ask for what we do not have. Jesus asks us to bring what we have and put it into his hand because he's able to multiply what we have for the good of others and for the spread of the gospel. Let me put it this way. Jesus does not need us to be strong. Jesus wants us to be inadequate. He doesn't want us to think that we have what it takes to meet people's needs. He wants us to rely on him to meet people's needs. It's easy to, rely, to bring Jesus our strength. But what this passage teaches us, Jesus wants us to bring him our weaknesses. He wants us to bring whatever we have in our hand and trust him with it. Because when we know that it is impossible, when we know that we are inadequate and we trust him anyway, then and only then, we will see Jesus' does the impossible, through us. So if church, if we want to see Jesus' greatness at work in and through our life, here's what we need to do. Bring him your five loaves of bread and two fish and see how he will multiply that for the good of others and for the spread of the gospel. However, there's another layer to the story that we must talk about. Now it's implicit in the book of Mark, but I think it's more explicit in the book of John, and I think this is the turning point of the story. It lies in verse thirty-four, Mark six thirty-four. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Now here's what uh, many commentaries told us. Even though we do not know where exactly the desolate place is it is most likely a place around where the many zealots are. Now, if you do not know who are the zealots, zealots are a group of people who actually want to overthrow the Roman government. So they're like terrorists, right? So they want a revolution. And in order to have revolution, they need a leader. They need a king. They need a military leader to lead their revolution. And that is why when Jesus sees a great crowd, he sees sheep without shepherd. He's he a people without king. And if you read the account in the book of John, right after Jesus fed the multitude, the great crowd want to take Jesus by force and you know what they want to do? Make him king. Why? Because they want Jesus to lead the revolution against the Roman government. What they do not understand is, yes, Jesus is a king. But he's a totally different kind of king than what they expected. Jesus has compassion for the people, yes. But Jesus is not a military leader. He does not come for military revolution. He come for gospel revolution. How do we know? Because in John 6.35, this is how Jesus sums up why he fed the multitude. Jesus said to them, John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever come to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In other words, Jesus said to the crowd, I do not come to be a military king. I come to be the bread of life. Now, when we think about bread, what comes to our mind? What comes to my mind is cups. But not with the Jews. For the Jews, bread is a symbol of life. So for Jesus to call himself the bread of life means he is the only one that can give true life to the people. And this is why Jesus has compassion, splachness on the great crowd because he sees thousands of people on their way to destruction. And this is why, my friend, Jesus came into the world. Jesus came into the world to be the bread of life so that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. I mean, there's nothing wrong to come to Jesus with our physical needs. There's nothing wrong with that. But what this text teach us, we have a greater need. We have a greater hunger that must be satisfied. If we don't have our greater hunger satisfied by Jesus, we are going to starve forever. That is why Jesus came into the world, not to give us bread, but to be our bread. Here's the question. How can Jesus be our bread? Our bread, his help. Jesus need to bless us and be broken for us, and that's what happened at the cross. At the cross, Jesus blessed us, Jesus blessed us with his forgiveness, Jesus blessed us with his life, Jesus blessed us with his perfect righteousness. So that the moment we put our faith in Jesus, we receive every spiritual blessing in Christ. So, right now, because of our faith, here's what happened we stand holy. Righteous and blameless before God. Jesus purchased our salvation at the cross and he blessed us with it. But here's another side of that. In order for us to bless, in order for him to bless us, he must also be broken for us. Remember, Jesus is the bread of life. If the bread remains whole, that bread is useless for you and me. We're going to starve the only way for us to live, you know what we need to do? We need to rip the bread to pieces and eat it. And that is what happened at the cross. At the cross, Jesus was literally being ripped apart. He was broken to pieces. Why? Because at the cross, Jesus took the punishment that you and I deserve. Jesus went to the cross to take the penalty that we should receive so that we would not have to. Do you see what happened? If Jesus stayed whole, we will be broken to pieces. But because Jesus was broken to pieces, we could be whole. It is seeing Jesus broken to pieces for us that will finally, finally satisfy our deep hunger and give us that heart rest that we desire. And that is the point of the story. Jesus is the bread of life. Let me close with this. I realize when we come to church, you know, Many of us come with a lot of baggage. Many of us come to this place, are overwhelmed with life. Some of you right now, maybe some of you are overwhelmed with the fact that you have assignment that you, finish, you need to finish by tomorrow. Some of you right now, you're overwhelmed because of family situation. Some of you are overwhelmed with deadline at work. Some of you right now carry the burden of uncertainty about your future. Some of you are overwhelmed at ministry at church. Or some of you are overwhelmed at the call of God in your life. Some of you are overwhelmed with marriage, parenting, or maybe singleness. And right now you think that you are faced with an impossible situation. You know what God commands you to do. You know what God asks you to do. But your mind, goes, is not going to work. It's illogical. God, it's impossible. But the good news for us today, we have Jesus with us. And here's what we need most. And he has proven at the cross once and for all that he can give us more than we could ask or imagine. So the encouragement is this. Whatever it is that you have in your hand right now, no matter how small it is, no matter how unimportant you think it is, bring it to him. Trust him with what you have in your hand. Because Jesus can take your limitation and multiply them for the good of others and for the spread of the gospel. Because, my friend, Jesus is more than enough. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Father, I have no idea what kind of burden that we carry with us right now. I have no idea what kind of situation that we're in right now. But I do know that many times obeying you, trusting you feels like it's impossible. It feels like our hearts are torn apart because it does not make any sense. And we're afraid. But I pray that you remind us today, Lord, that you're more than enough that you can be trusted because at the cross, you come to satisfy our deep hunger. At the cross, you become a bread of life so that we will have eternal life. You were broken to pieces. And whatever it is that we feel overwhelmed with right now, I pray, that we are able to bring whatever we have in our hand to you right now. Maybe it's small, maybe we feel like it's significant, maybe we feel like it's nothing, but that's all we have. And that's what you ask. So I pray, Lord, that you give us humility to trust you with our five love of bread and two fish. And we will see how you multiply them how you multiply them, Lord, for the good of others and for the spread of the gospel. God, I pray, I pray that we become a community who dare to trust you, who dare to trust you to do the impossible. And we shall witness you do the impossible in and through us. So empower us, Lord, whatever it is that we need to trust you with. I pray that we're reminded today that you are trustworthy, that having you is more than enough, and we ask this in the name of your son Jesus Christ. We pray.